Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in, Je in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Thank you, JB. Good to be with you all this morning. My name is Rob Sweet. If you are a guest with us, just welcome to you. I wanna make sure that you saw this contact card at the bottom. We would love to get to know you if you'd like to engage with us. We have an area right out here, out through the doors, we call the arcade, that space right out there by the windows. You'll find a connect point there, you can turn that in. We have a gift as a way to say thank you and some more information about fellowship. I also wanna remind, if you're a regular attender, don't miss these announcements. We're not gonna cover them all, but they're all important. I wanna make sure you get your eyes on those. Well, if you were here last week, you saw us wrap up a series that we've been in for about five weeks called A Generous Table. The theology of food, the theology of the table from Genesis to Revelation. And I love the way Eric Hoffman ended it last week by saying, God's table is our table. So our tables are meant to be a place of blessing for our neighbors. And if you were here last week, you received a kit with everything you need to kind of engage with a neighbor, invite them over for dinner. And we're calling our church, we're calling all of us to this invitation, this opportunity to make our kitchen tables and dining room tables a place of blessing for our neighbors. If you weren't here last week, you missed a great message. I encourage you to, to take a look at it. And also you can download that meal um, kit, that packet of information is online. And information about that is here at the worship program. And I wanna encourage you to engage this as the gospel is going out. And we're gonna do that at least in part through hospitality. Well, this week we start a brand new series where we're gonna study the book of Colossians, verse by verse, and we'll be here for several months together. I've been anticipating this series because Colossians has long been one of my very favorite books. And I can't explain why. It was meaningful to me as a high school student as I learned it later and studied it more in depth. It's just come to life for me. It's a very short book. You can literally read it in 15 minutes. I've done it a number of times and timed myself. So start to finish 15 minutes uh, to help you understand where we're gonna go in the next number of months as we dig into Colossians together. I wanna set it up with an analogy. For a hundred years or so, physicists have been on a quest to find a single theory that can explain everything in the universe from the tiniest particles to the greatest, hugest stars. This much sought after idea has come to be known as the theory of everything. 
In the past 100 years or so, there have been a lot of advancements, both on the, the massive end of the size spectrum of our universe and learning about how gravitational forces work and space-time theory and all the work that Einstein did in general relativity. And at the same time, in the last number of years, there's been a lot of work done at the very smallest part of our universe and subatomic particles and discovering that things are much tinier than we ever thought. What's interesting is the laws of physics that work for the Big things don't work for the small things and vice versa. So on the one end, you have you know, general relativity. On the other end, you have quantum theory. And the two don't necessarily play nicely together. So physicists for generations have been trying to find a single unifying idea, a single unifying set of equations, a single unifying theory that would bring these two things together. Einstein spent the last 30 years of his life trying to solve this puzzle. Stephen Hawking, another one that you may have heard of, they actually made a movie called The Theory of Everything about his life. He uh, struggled to, to puzzle these together and the search goes on and on. It has led to things like string theory, which I can't even begin to explain to you because I don't understand it myself. Multiverse, which is the idea that maybe there's just a whole bunch of universes out there that you know, explains how things work together, et cetera, et cetera. The quest for the theory of everything continues. Now, why do I begin with this? Because the best way to think about Colossians is it's Paul's articulation of his theory of everything. It's the way that Paul brings together his synthesis of the entire universe into a single unifying focal point. Colossians is Paul's exposition of his analysis that everything exists from the, the vastness of the cosmos to the smallness of even an individual human heart makes sense in the context of a single idea. In fact, it's not just an idea. At the center of an idea, it's a person. Paul's theory of everything has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you need to know about Paul. Paul was not just a holy saint or a, just a writer of the scripture. I don't know how you think about Paul. Most of us put him in kind of this uh, sort of the stale category of these you know, s you know, saints, etc. Uh, Paul was a brilliant man. He had a brilliant mind. God wired him in a way that he was super intelligent. In fact, before he converted to Christianity as a young adult, Paul was one of the, the, the highest rising stars in his Hebrew scholars. He, he was going to be the next big deal in Hebrew scholarship. And then God, in his conversion, harnessed that brilliance of his brain. And Paul ends up becoming, I believe, the smartest Christian theologian, the most brilliant Christian theologian to ever live. He wrote, as you know, a very large chunk of our New Testament. And so much of Paul's writing is so sharp, so smart, yet he writes in a way that we can apply to our lives. And we're going to see that come to life right here in the study of Colossians. I think Paul's greatest contribution to human thought might be the way that he integrates his vast knowledge of the Hebrew scripture with his remarkable insight about the life and work of Jesus Christ. He puts those two things together a little bit like the physicists have been trying to integrate the, the relativity and the quantum theory. And with brilliant simplicity, Paul argues this, at the center of everything, there is a person. Christ is all and in all, Colossians 3 verse 11. So Paul's theory of everything is that at the grandest scale, Jesus is at the center of the universe, and at the smallest scale, he's at the center of every individual heart that is fully alive. Jesus is at the center of all things. 
And so this very simple and clear concept, which, you know, that's how simple and clear concepts are. They're never as simple. You know, it's not easy to get there. There's been a lot of work to make things simple. That's how Apple's made so much money, by the way. Uh, but this simple and clear concept makes sense of both the cosmos and makes sense of every little detail of our own lives. Because as Paul's going to argue, if Jesus is indeed at the center of all things, then our path toward flourishing is to put him at the center of our things. So he's going to get very practical. He's going to talk about Jesus at the center of the way we think about God, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about our family relationships, our friendships, our work, our culture, our hope for the future. This is where this little letter is going to take us over the next several months. Now, we want to give you a gift to help you engage this because we're going to be in Colossians for a while together. So ushers, go ahead and start handing these out. We've got them in baskets. We're giving you each a copy of Colossians in a little journal format. And I'm so excited about this because I think you're going to find this very useful. Now, today's the day you're going to get these. One for every person in the room. If you're a young child, you get one. If you're an adult, obviously you get one as well. One for every single person. If there's someone that typically worships with you and they're not able to be here today, take one for them as well. But one for every person. Let me tell you a little bit about what this is, and then when you grab it, you can start thumbing through it. It is simply the text of Colossians on one side of the page and blank space for note-taking on the other. That's as simple as it gets. Now, they did add, when I say they, you know, it's designed by Crossway, the publishers of the ESV, which is the translation that we use. They added a couple artistic flourishes in here. I love that because for some of you, you're artists. And this can stir your imagination. For some of you, the best way to engage in scripture is not through note-taking, it's through drawing, it's through doodling. Feel free to do that. This is your tool. We're giving it to you today, and we want you to keep bringing it back throughout the series. In fact, this is going to essentially be the Bible that you bring to church for the next six months or go. We'll probably go till Easter in Colossians, taking a break in the Christmas season to do an Advent series. Now, here's how we'll work. We'll be talking about other passages in Scripture as well. We'll put those on the screen. But when we're studying Colossians, we want you to see it in paper form, a tangible, not just a digital copy. Your brain works differently when you're engaging the, the print media. And we want you to engage it that way. By the way, we want you to draw in this, take notes in this. Uh, if you need a pen, just raise your hand. The ushers that are still out in the aisles, they will get you a pen. I'm going to be encouraging you to do that today. And there's going to be several ways that you're going to be engaging the scripture with pen and ink this morning in this little journal. But this is yours to keep. I want to encourage you to write your name in the front. In case you leave it here, we'll want to get it back to you. Maybe put contact information as well if you'd like to do that. Put it on the front cover and then you can engage it all around. Now, let me speak to a couple different um, types of people in the room. I've already spoken a bit to the artists. Make this however you want to make it. This is yours. The, the, let the creativity in your mind connect to the word of God. What a beautiful way that you can engage the scripture. If you're not an artist, you're kind of a logical thinker, this is a place for you to take notes. Every single sermon, you'll be able to have sermon notes in this book. When you go home and study the book on your own, which I hope you will as well, you'll be able to add your notes and take them as well. You can write in the margins. You can underline words. You can circle words. We're going to be doing a little bit of that today. And finally, I want to talk to the children in the room, the kids in the room. Uh, I grew up at a church much like ours, and one of the things I love about fellowship is we encourage kids to be in our service. We have a great place for them in the learning center, but ideally we'd love for them, you know, you're serving one service and you're worshiping in another, and your kids are welcome to be with you. And as they get older, all through our high school years, they're in the room. I want to encourage the students and the children in the room to engage this together as well. And again, if you're artistic minded, let it go. 
let it go. My dad, when I was young, he used to tell me, feel free to draw in the service, but I want to encourage you to connect your drawings to something that you're hearing or reading from God's word or from the message or something that inspires the creativity. So if you're a kid in the room, I want to encourage you in that way as well to, to engage it with us in that. And if you don't know what else to draw, when in doubt, draw Jesus because he is all over this book. You won't go wrong with that. You will notice in this journal, it also includes the book of Philemon. We're going to cover Philemon as a part of this series. And you'll, it'll make more sense when we get there. Philemon's only two pages long. When Colossians would have been delivered to the church at Colossae by the messenger, there would have been another letter that he would have delivered as well. And it was written to an individual in the church named Philemon. And it was also addressed to the church. We've got a hand right here in the middle that needs a pen, by the way, when you get an opportunity. Just keep your hand up if you need a pen and we'll get pens to you as you go. So we're gonna cover Colossians and we're gonna cover Philemon and all is right here in this journal. All right, let's launch in then now that you have God's word in front of you. Let's turn to the first page of that where it says the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And I'm gonna read just the first couple of verses and then we'll talk about some background context as we get going. You guys ready? This is like a six month journey. So are you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. The letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. All right, anytime you start a book, it's important to know a little bit of background. We'll start with the author. It's written by Paul. We've already talked about him. It's also written by Timothy. Timothy was Paul's apprentice. And so Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. They're gonna use both the, the plural pronoun we and at times the singular pronoun I, which would be uh, Paul himself writing. The audience, as we know from the verse we just read, the church at Colossae. Let's talk about Colossae, uh, a mid-sized city at that point in time, what is now modern day Turkey. It's not a modern city anymore. Let me show you on a map where it is. We have a, a small little map that we're going to hear show you on the screen behind us. If we could get that up. Small little map. It's beautiful, isn't it? Let's zoom in and you see the boot of Italy right there in the Mediterranean Sea. And just to the east of Italy, you're going to see on the screen Ephesus and Colossae. Now, Ephesus and Colossae were about 100 miles apart. They were both on that landmass right over there. Colossae was about 100 miles inland. The reason I wanted Rome and Ephesus on there is the letter Paul wrote to Colossae was either written from Rome or Ephesus. We know Paul was in prison because he talks about his chains in chapter four. And we know he was imprisoned in Rome at least once, likely tw two different times in Rome. And we also believe he was imprisoned at Ephesus at a period of time. And so some scholars say it was written from Rome. Some scholars say it was written from Ephesus. It doesn't really matter where it was written from. What we do know though is Paul had never visited Colossae. This is one of the few churches that he wrote a letter to that he'd never been to. And you're gonna hear the backstory when we get in our text today about how this church came to be in this city called Colossae. What was the date of writing? Well, if it was written from Rome, it would have been around 60 AD. And that's where we're gonna date it. If it was written from uh, Ephesus, by the way, it was probably a little earlier than that. But 60 AD, here's the important thing about that. That is so soon after the death and resurrection of Christ. 
30 years is not a long time. There would have been hundreds of people still alive when, when this letter was circulating around the churches in that area that would have seen the risen Jesus, that were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. Think about 30 years ago. What was that? Uh, early 90s or so, or somewhere, 89, somewhere in that range. It's just not that long ago, unless you're real young. It just doesn't, 30 years is, it goes by fast. It's not a very long time. It was in the same generation of Jesus Christ. Finally, we're going to talk about the theme a lot more in Colossians. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this just maybe at the very top, you know, somewhere where it says the, the letter of Paul to Colossians, maybe above that. Just write down this theme and we'll keep coming back to it. Here's the theme of Colossians. Jesus Christ is the center of all things comes um, straight from multiple passages in this text. We've titled our series this, you know, no need to get complicated, right? The center of all things. Jesus Christ is the center of all things. And it's going to be grand and it's going to be small and everything in the middle. That's the theme of Colossians. By my count, by the way, this little letter in 95 verses has 63 distinct references to Jesus. 63. What I want to encourage you to do in these first eight verses this morning, as we're going to go through eight verses this morning, is every time you see a reference to Jesus, mark it. And the way that I've done it, you'll see on the screen here, is put a box or put a rectangle around these references to Jesus. So go ahead and roll that. You can see in verse one, Christ Jesus. Verse two, Christ. Go ahead and follow along in your books if you want to do this. Verse three, our Lord Jesus Christ. Put a big box around that one. Verse four, Christ Jesus. And verse seven, Christ. And, and that's just... That just gets us going in these first eight verses. And we'll keep that on the screen for a little bit. So every time you see a reference to Jesus Christ, mark it. Just put, put a rectangle on it. That's how we're going to mark it as we go through this study together. By the way, this reminds me, my encouragement for you as a takeaway from this morning is to go home, take this little journal we gave you, and just read the book. 15 minutes of your time. You will see it differently when you read it cover to cover and some things will start to make sense. And as you read, why not go ahead and mark up all, you know, I had 63. Maybe you'll find I missed one or two. I'm not sure. But go ahead and put a box around every reference, direct reference to Jesus Christ. So uh, that, that's a little bit of an encouragement for you to do this week. Let's keep going now through our text. We've covered verses one and two, which is the formal address and greeting. Now let's move on to verse three and we'll read uh, the next couple of verses. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Pause right there. I know that's mid-verse. We'll pick the rest of verse five up in a minute, but that's the end of Paul's thought. Notice that the dominant emotion of Paul toward these people is thankfulness. It's gratitude. But notice also, he's not thanking them. It's not what verse one says. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith, your love, etc." So what's going on here, Paul's never met these individuals, but he's heard through a man that we'll talk about in a minute, Epaphras. He's heard about what's going on in the church and what he's heard has led Paul to thank God, has led Paul to praise God. Quick little application. Isn't it a wonderful thought if you and I could be the reason for someone's praise of God, 
someone's thanksgiving toward God. Isn't that, a, wouldn't that be a great goal in life? To say, God, would you make my life the kind of life so that people would just thank you because of something I said or did or, or, or who I was? I just think that's a great goal. And that's what's happening here. So we've learned something already here from the first few words of this text. Now, you may have noticed as I read these verses that there are three words that Paul uses that he also uses in other places together. It's faith, hope, and love. Now, it shows up in this order in Colossians, faith, love, and hope. But we're so used to hearing faith, hope, and love because that's how it's presented in another one of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians. He says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now, in this context, what Paul is doing, he's taking these three same ideas. You know, we call this a, a Pauline triad. You know, if you, if you uh, geek out on those kinds of things, that, that would be the formal term for that. So it's three words Paul uses a lot. He's connecting in Colossians 1, faith and love together. And he's saying it's actually hope that's the root cause of the faith and love. So you can check that out. Verse five, because of the hope. So you've got faith and love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, this is important. In this context, heaven is not a reference to the afterlife. He, Paul's not saying the only way you have hope is when you think about what's still to come. Now, that is true, and that gives us hope, and that's very, very biblical. But in this context, heaven is not talking about that. It's actually, the Greek word is plural, and it's heavens. It might be better translated to store it up for you in the heavens. Well, is that really any different? Actually, it is, because the idea is that the heavens, plural, is the invisible domain of God. In that, in that culture, it was sort of, you got earth, which is man's domain. You got the heavens, which is the domain of, of, of the gods. And if you were a Hebrew or a Christian, you knew there was one and only one true God. So here's what Paul is saying, and this is a really big idea. You Colossian believers, he says, have laid up your hope, not in the fleeting, uh, 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 dysfunctional things that your eyes crave around you. Instead, you have laid up your hope in the things of God, the domain of God. Your hope is laid up for you in the God space, in the spiritual realm. And this is such a big idea because as we're gonna hear, if you place your hope in the flimsy, fleeting stuff, that your appetite craves, that your lusts crave, that your eyes crave, you will not bear the kind of fruit that leads to life. There's a different kind of fruit you'll actually bear and it leads to death. So what Paul is saying is the Colossians' faith and love have been birthed from a hope in the things of God, God's domain. Another way that Paul will talk about this sometimes and especially the gospels talk about it this way, the kingdom of God, the domain of God, the realm of God, the kingdom of God. These are all used interchangeably. And because your hope is in the kingdom of God, the realm of God, the spiritual realm, this hope has birthed in you faith and love. And those are really big deals. Much more we could say, but we're gonna move on. Let's finish the rest of verse five. Pick it up right after the word heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Pause there. In the end of verse five, we have the first direct reference to the gospel in Colossians. 
and I want you to mark that. So you, you might choose to, to double underline. Oh, oh by the way, I, I skipped something important and it's gonna mess up our visuals. Circle the words faith, love, and hope because those are important, those triad together. So circle those three words. You can see that on the screen. So you've got rectangles around the, the words Jesus. You've got circles around faith, hope, or faith, love, and hope. And now double underline the gospel. There it is. Way to go, Joe, tracking along with me. All right, this is where we are so far. Now, the gospel simply means good news. You may have heard that before. It's not just a spiritual term. It means good news of any kind. But in the biblical New Testament context, it's always associated of the news of a new kingdom. Remember, I, I just talked about the, the domain of God, the kingdom of God. The gospel is all about the kingdom of God. You know, the gospel is essentially the proclamation that this long-awaited domain realm kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Jesus. And this long-awaited kingdom of God is the place where the earth is being turned right side up again, where all things are being made new. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, people from all tribes and nations are able to enter into this new kingdom through faith in the king. That's the gospel. We'll unpack that a little bit more. And, and Paul is saying that the gospel is bearing fruit. That that core idea, it's just an announcement. King has come. There's now a new possibility for life. That announcement is bearing fruit all over the world. This was an explosive time of church growth right here in the mid to late first century. And that explosive growth is only going to increase in the next couple of centuries that followed. Now, I love the image of the fruit. Colossae was a fertile area. Agriculture was big there. And so they would have been very familiar with bearing fruit. And so what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying the gospel is a seed that has been planted and is bearing fruit. I have a little seed right here in my fingers that you can't even see, but it's there. It's so small. But now I want you to look on the screen and, and look at the possibility of what this seed can produce. Imagine standing under that towering tree. It, it, it would dwarf you and it will outlive you. And it all came from this tiny little seed, all the, all the genetic potential of a massive tree and all the inherent energy in, in the whole ecosystem that, that that tree creates is all contained in the tininess of the seed and not only just one tree. Go to the next image, if you will. An entire forest of trees can eventually come out of a single seed of one tree as that tree bears fruit. And then those seeds are blown by the wind or carried off by animals and fall into the ground and other trees begin to sprout up. Paul is saying the gospel's like that. The gospel is like a seed planted in a human heart. And the seed of the gospel begins to grow up inside and you're changed by it. It's like something bursting forth the gospel transforms you from the inside out. Now, most Christians tend to think the gospel gets me into heaven, but it's my obedience and discipline that change me over time. Oh, no. 
oh no, that's not what Paul teaches. Here's what Paul teaches in Colossians and in other letters as well. Obedience and discipline flow out of a changed heart. They don't cause a changed heart. There's only one thing that causes the changed heart, and that's faith in this tiny little seed. It's just this little bitty seed, and it gets in there, and, and, and immediately as soon as you receive Christ, maybe you were a kid, maybe you were a young adult, maybe a teenager, maybe it's just been the last few months for you. You may not notice a lot at first. Some do, some don't, but over time, over time, that seed begins to grow, and it transforms you from the inside out. Transformation, you see, is a result of truth taking root. And over time, old patterns of thought and belief are disrupted. New thought, new belief is replaced, is in their place. And the core, simple, single idea that starts it all is this, that you are loved unconditionally by the only one whose opinion actually matters. And that love for you, God's love for you, your creator's love for you, is not earned by you. And here's the good news of that. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. God takes his love of his own son, Jesus, who obeyed him perfectly through life and death. He places that on you through your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, that's how I love you. You are now in the kingdom through faith. And that simple little seed of an idea that you are loved, you are secure, has the power to transform a life. There's a movie some years ago called Inception where these guys go inside the dreams of another guy to plant the seed of an idea to get his behavior to change and sell the company so that others can buy it and disrupt the empire that his father left. That's what happens with the gospel. The gospel is a seed. It's a core idea. It's a belief that digs down right deep in your heart. And over time, you say, oh my goodness, if I'm truly loved, that means I don't have to fill in the blank anymore. If I'm truly loved, that means I'm able to fill in the blank. You see, this is how transformation happens over time. Now, the gospel renews your mind and a renewed mind is the catalyst for a changed life. That's the order of the Christian life. Renewed mind is a catalyst for a changed life. The gospel is a seed that is planted in the human heart and grows up and transforms you from the inside out. I, I wanna encourage you to draw a little drawing to help you remember this. We'll put it on the screen as well. Uh, if you're drawing it, if you're following along, place it in the margin next to verse six. You see just a little bit of a tree there and you're gonna see some fruit. You know, this is love and faith, the fruit. Look down underneath, there's a root system with that little seed. The seed is the gospel. We're gonna label it for you. You've got faith, you've got love is the fruit. Hope is the trunk of the tree. Remember, the hope is what grows the faith in love. And then there, that little bitty seed at the bottom is the gospel. Just a simple little drawing. We'll leave that on the screen for a few minutes if you wanna copy that down. It's just an easy way to remember this idea. So when you're looking back in your notes in the future, you'll remember this. Now, once the seed of the gospel begins to grow in you, you cannot see the world the same. 
This new sense of hope, which is the trunk of the tree, produces the fruit of faith and love in your life. And so if you've walked in here this morning and you're like, man, you know, I'm just kind of a wreck. I don't really have a lot of faith. I don't have a lot of unselfish love. I'm kind of just this, this inward person struggling and wrestling with my own stuff. And, and listen, we all go through seasons of that. And then here's where Paul would take you. Go back to the seed of truth. Go back to the idea of the gospel. And this new sense of hope will produce the fruit of faith and love, which in turn can go out into the world and plant more seeds, which is your faith being reproduced. Which is exactly what hospitality is about, inviting people over, the video we watched last week, the meal kits, which is exactly what these men and women and young men and women did all summer the mission trips that we heard about earlier, it all starts with a single seed. And at the center of the seed is a person, Jesus Christ, who is at the center of all things. Verse six is a really big deal in Colossians. I wanted you to get this seed idea. Let's, let's finish out the rest of the text, this morning's text, verses seven and eight. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Oh, here's the origin story of the church at Colossae. There's this man, Epaphras. He came to Christ through Paul's ministry in another city. He, you know, he was out, he was staying, he was, he was maybe sojourning somewhere else or he was studying somewhere and he heard the gospel. Guess where his hometown is? Colossi. He went back home and, and he took the seed with him. And he said, I've got something to tell you. And he proclaimed it. He planted it in the ground, in the soil, the fertile soil at Colossi. And now it's begun to grow. This is how the Christian movement has spread steadily throughout the world for 2,000 years. It's so unassuming, isn't it, the way it happens? It's so small. It's just a little seed. It's the seed of the idea that a, a poor Jewish carpenter from Galilee is the king of the world. That he claimed to be the son of God and then he backed it up through his resurrection. And he says, there's something new you can be a part of now. There's a new kingdom. There's, there's something that's emerging. It's been visible right now, but someday it'll all be visible. And through faith right now, you enter the kingdom and someday your faith will be sight. That's the gospel. A final thought for us before we celebrate the gospel together through the Lord's table this morning. Here's the thought. Each of you is on your own search for a unified theory of everything. I know that because all of us are. We're on a quest to find something that really matters, something that can make sense of our lives. You see, we were designed in such a way that we look to something solid to build our lives around, something strong enough to bear the full weight of our desires and our affections. So let me explain how this works. The most important question you will ever answer is where do you put your hope? When you're young, your hope is in the security and approval of mom and dad. When you're a teenager, your hope is in the acceptance of your peers. When you go off into the world, 
college or, or other places, your hope is in having fun and hopefully discovering who you are and what you're great at. As a young adult, you put your hope in either starting a career and or finding love. Through your midlife years, your hope tends to center around your personal success, however you define that, thriving either in your family, in your career, hopefully in both. When you're an older adult and you tend to now be looking more backward than forward sometimes, your hope shifts to grandchildren, your hope shifts to memories, to retirement, leaving a legacy. These are all good things. None of them are strong enough to bear the weight of your hope. None of them hold the center place in your life with any kind of integrity. None of them can withstand the weight of putting all of your eggs in that basket. None of them can withstand the weight of saying, life for me depends on blank. They can't stand the weight. You will either crush all those things or they will crush you. Because none can bear the weight of being at the center of your universe. There is only one who can, Paul says. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Colossians chapter one, we're gonna be memorizing that passage as Lindsay mentioned to us earlier. And you won't have to even work at memorizing it because we're gonna be saying it every week together as a part of our service flow. We're going to be memorizing it, not just because it's great theology, it is, but because it's great practice. It's power theo powerful theology and it's very powerful in how practical it is. So here's our desire for the series, okay? Me and Lloyd and the elders that we've prayed over this together and all the staff that's worked so hard to put beautiful graphics up and the program design and source these and, you know, get a bargain so we can hand them out to you. All this comes down to one thing. Our desire for this series is that we would all take a closer look at Jesus Christ, that we would be more fully awed by him, that we would see him as more beautiful, more brilliant, more compelling, more powerful, and more capable of occupying the center place of our lives. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That's our desire. Because we know when we center our lives on him, we find he's what we're looking for. He's sufficient. He's the center of all things. I want to invite the ushers to go ahead and start passing out the elements of the Lord's Supper today. And, and I, I just want to say this. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're an unbeliever, maybe you're a skeptic, you know, you're somewhere on that journey. Can I just say this to you this morning? The offer on the table this morning is a simple truth to build your life around. It's just a seed. It's a seed that if planted by faith, and you can't muster up faith, by the way, it's a gift of God, but if you have faith to believe this morning, it's a seed that can be planted even this morning. 
And, and I'm not gonna you know, call you out or raise your hand or do any of that stuff, but I will encourage you, if you believe this morning, if you believe that Jesus is the center, that he, his life, death, and resurrection were for you and you need him, you need salvation, you need something in your life to be an anchor point for you and you believe that thing is Jesus, the person, take the bread, take the cup with us this morning as an act of faith, as a step of faith. And for all of us who have already believed in Jesus, take it as well. I don't want you to eat it yet. I want you just to hold on to it. And for believers in Jesus, listen, here's what this means for you this morning. Just, just pay, pay attention to this. It does not do to simply include Jesus among the collections of things in your life you look to for fullness. That is not the recipe for fullness of life the recipe for churn. It's the recipe for emptiness. It's the recipe for almost, but not quite full. When you allow Jesus to occupy the center place of your life, when you yield to him, the very position that is rightfully his to occupy, that's when life takes on meaning. That's when you find the center point around which everything else can be placed. So we come to the table again this morning and we remember that we come with joy. It's not meant to be a somber part of our service. As we talked about the last few weeks, it's meant to be a joyful part of our service. So here's how we're gonna do this this morning, a little bit different. I want you to take the bread, take the cup, and, and we're gonna start some singing. We're gonna start some worship. I just want you to hold them. And, and I want you to hold that as we sing. And then after we sing a couple of songs, I'm gonna come back up here and, and we're gonna eat together because I want the joy of just even holding it, much less eating it, just the joy of holding it. Because to possess this means your faith in Jesus Christ has secured a place for you. You are placing your trust, your hope in the heavenly realm, not in the fleeting, insubstantive things of earth and there is joy in having a secure hope. So let's receive with joy and then I'll come up in a couple of minutes and lead us together.
He is so vast and powerful that right now he occupies the center place of the whole universe and he is present right here in the smallness of this room, in this place. And what you hold in your hands is a tangible reminder, is a tangible symbol, something you can eat and taste and drink this morning. So we do that with joy in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We eat the body, we drink the blood of Jesus Christ in joy of our salvation. Let's do that together. Before you go, if we can pray for you this morning, it'd be an honor for us to do that. I'll be down here, there'll be some others as well. I wanna leave you with this thought and tie together everything that we've done today. We've gathered to sing and pray and listen and respond so that now we can be sent from this place like seeds scattered by the wind of the Spirit for the joy and hope of all the peoples in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Have a great week.